You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Are you looking for a podcast your whole family can enjoy together? Uh-huh. Check out Culture Kids Podcast. Our adventures will ignite your curiosity for culture, traditions, languages, geography, and even pop culture with interviews from guests all over the world. Through each episode, we aim to help children become empathetic, creative leaders in their communities and help them see the beauty in our differences. And that's Culture Kids Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And we're joined with Stephanie Arney. Hey, Stephanie. Woo! <laughs> Stephanie's here. <laughs> yes. Finally. Finally. I, I was expecting that you would push a button that would have the crowd cheer, but you didn't do it, so I just did it myself. <laughs> the, hand, the hand clap. Yes, absolutely. That's what we got. All three of us. That's all we got. I'm sorry. We're not that advanced yet. We don't... Uh, someday. We made, someday. So. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll be in a studio and we'll have the soundboard and all the cool stuff. But Stephanie, thank you so much. This has been months and months in the planning. You have been so busy. So thank you. When you finally had a break, we were able to finally uh, get you to sit down and talk to us uh, for a little bit. But, you know, for, for who you are and, and we'd love to introduce you to our listeners. Can you just kind of give us a little bit about your background? You know, I guess who you are and, and what you do. Hi, my name is Steph. I like animals. <laughs> so I grew up being in love with animals. Uh, the common question I get all the time is that, you know, do you, did you always know since you're a little girl that you wanted to work with animals? And yes, I did. I yes. knew I wanted to teach about animals. I knew I wanted to teach about nature. But at a very young age, I understood the interconnectedness of all things. And uh, I found that not a lot of people either understood it or cared. And I just found myself nerding out growing up, just looking at books and watching the shows, just being fascinated with how we're all made of the same things. And we all depend on each other for survival. And we all share the same resources. And I don't know, I just thought all that was really cool. And so I went to college, and I I planned to get a degree in biology and zoology. And I ended up discovering behaviorism because in the end, I love learning all that stuff. But my main goal is to help inspire, empower, and encourage people to learn about the natural world. And in turn, hopefully they'll change some behaviors that will result in a healthier relationship with the natural world and with themselves and with other people. And so I decided to get my degree more in in a behavioral sciences, focusing on psychology and behaviorism. And my senior year of college, I got an opportunity to go to Africa 
And and that blew my mind whole. I always dreamed of going to Africa (laughs) and it completely changed my perspectives, my perspective on the world and what was truly important and how other people thought and what other people believed, how other people lived. And um, I just came back with this increased fascination with not just how my, my little world worked. But then I saw that, wow, how do we have, you know, probably at that time, five, six billion people that were, that are all so different and we're all coexisting in this crazy thing we call life. And so, yeah, it just, after that, I'm like, I have to be a science communicator. And I found myself at my first job at Omaha Zoo. And from there, it just skyrocketed. I spent my twenties bouncing around from, um, Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, Nebraska, to Honolulu Zoo and Hawaii to San Diego Zoo. I worked for SeaWorld for a little while. And in between that, I did some contracts with the military teaching children so I could even better learn about development and the understanding of where children are, you know, where, what do they really understand as second graders? And, uh, then I, really wanted to work out in the wild as well. So I got some really great opportunities that I couldn't say no to and, uh, you know, put some money on a credit card or use loan money or worked three jobs or stop buying <laughs> crap I didn't need and, yes. and found my way bouncing around uh, at the end of my 20s all over Australia, New Zealand, um, Malaysia, Thailand, Papua New Guinea, and slowly started seeing um, really how like I said earlier, how everything's connected and how we all coexist. I was really seeing how we weren't coexisting with all life very well. And I I remember seeing some tragic things. And I think in my twenties, I had the resilience to see that and go, Oh, sad things. I don't know how to process that. So I'm just going to put up a wall and bury that deep and use it as fire to, you know, get me all pumped up to, to educate more people. Um, so yeah, I saw some really horrible things, but I also saw a lot of incredible people, whether it was fishermen, farmers, uh, divers, all the way up to scientists, you know, everybody in between and seeing where their role was and what they knew. And, but also, you know, seeing some of that corruption as well that was going on. And, and so I, it really helped me all my, my career really helped me to understand a very big picture perspective of how things work. I learned that things are not gray or that they're not black or white, excuse me, but they are very much gray and it's complex. And so I just, I've always found that to be, again, very fascinating. And so I I love to help people understand that. And I feel like I'm a bit of a translator with all that. So yeah, that's kind of been my career until something really cool happened. Guess what? Guess what it is? Yeah. (laughs) In 2013, uh, I got this incredible opportunity to audition for a show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And it was a f- few months. Uh, the process was quite long. We had an audition with the video, and then we had to do public voting for 13 days and annoy the crap out of everybody we love. We go to this <laughs> website and check my video again on your iPad, on your other iPad, on your phone, on your computer, on your friend's computer for 13 days. Uh, I probably lost a lot of friends then. <laughs> and, and after four months of the early stages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after yeah. about four months, I was declared the winner. And that was the most life changing, incredible moment of my life. I just to jump in. Cause I, I know Angie's got, got a question for you. 
I just have to say, and, and I think Angie was not born yet when the original Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom came out. No, Angie was not born yet. I was just a twinkle <laughs> but, in my daddy's eye. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But I was a young, young kid watching that. And so when I heard you were the new host and then you were coming on the podcast, I can't tell you how excited I got. Cool. <laughs> because that was as a young child watching that, you know, them chase around zebras and lions and that little Jeep that they had, Marlon Perkins and Jim. Oh, was Jim Fowler. Yeah. Jim Fowler. Yeah. It was uh, as a kid with my dad watching that. And that's really where my love for wildlife started to develop. So kudos to you. I mean, kudos to you because I can only imagine how many young children are watching that being inspired by you and what you do. So Anyways, thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. But I, like you, we're all just an extension. You know, we're all doing our part. And how cool that they inspired you to, you know, one day mm-hmm. get your PhDs. And the incredible mm-hmm. minds that you have and what you can do with that is is so helpful. Like, we're all puzzle pieces, right? And we yeah, all have different yeah. roles. And I had no idea this was going to happen to me. Uh, I truly believe, you know, uh, many, many people are very capable of, of fulfilling that role or very deserving of it. Um, there is definitely some days where I'm like, oh, I totally didn't deserve that. Um, and then there's other days where I'm like, no, you rocked your butt off. You worked so hard and you took so many chances and took so many risks. And I, I do feel like I have a really good idea of, of how this all kind of works, but I'm also smart enough to know that I don't, the more I learn, the more I'm like, crap, I have so much more to learn. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. but it's been, that's the fun part. Yeah. It's been so yeah. incredible to me. People like you two, um, and, and scientists and, and biologists and conservationists, animal trainers, people working out in the field that are doing their part and they're just inspire the crap out of me. And I'm just so grateful that I was given the opportunity that I could share those stories with everybody around the world. Well, but it, well, exactly. And it's been an amazing series to watch, but your tenure on the Wild Kingdom is historic because you're the first woman host. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? So can, yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? What that yeah. Like? You know, I remember growing up and seeing only men host animal shows. Uh, you know, that does something to you. I, I know it seems really silly. Sure. But we all say it for a reason. You know, when we're a kid and we don't see a female president, um, you know, or if we don't see a, a male nurse, like that does stick with you. And it's really great to observe how all the people before, before us have fought to get us to the point now where that obviously it's still an issue, the pay gap and everything is still an issue. But look Mm -hmm. at like the fact that I was even considered that may not have happened um, in the past. I don't know. I can't claim to know (laughs) the, the, the past, but I, I think that it was very, very impressive. And it says a lot about mutual of Omaha and their belief system and their morals and how they see the world. And, And I just, I'm so grateful that I get to be that woman, but I, there's so, I just see myself again as another puzzle piece in this struggle for women to get this similar opportunities to share their skill sets and their voices with the world. No, and as the only man in this interview, <laughs> I, you know, I got Don't feel awkward. No, I don't. I. No, you're pretty feminine. <laughs> you're, you're fine. You, you fit right in. <laughs> 
I mean that. I mean that in most no, loving way. No, I know way. you do. My house is very feminine too. No, it's, it's, it's a good thing. You grew up with you grew up uh, with sister. No, no, I, I've seen it too, and you know, I, I will say from my perspective is when I was teaching it, you, you down in Florida, all my grad students mostly were all female, and it was so wonderful to see. I think I added up, Angie. It was thirteen of fifteen ended up becoming doctors, and eleven of those were female. So, you know, out of all the grads since I've had, that, that was an yes. amazing accomplishment. Breaking yeah, the I know, scene. I know. And, and if you look in the zoological field as well, yeah. it's starting to become ex- yeah. <laughs> very saturated with females as well. Not in the leadership positions, though. Yeah. But it it right. is starting exactly. to happen. And it's, I commend mm-hmm. any organization that, fi- that, that works towards having diversity fairly, of course. Um, and they're in there, especially in their leadership. So doing this mutual of Omaha and you've traveled so many places, I, I, I kind of wrote this down. Where's the favorite place you've been? Oh, oh so <laughs> too many. Yeah, well, I've never, I've never really understood how people answer this question. I think they, yeah. I'm assuming they answer it in the same way I kind of do. It's like, where am I at in this point of my life that when I look back at it, I, I see the immense benefit for it in my life now. I mean, in the, t- say if you would have asked me maybe eight years ago, I probably would have been like, Australia! Um, <laughs> because it has just the most in- incredible, it has the most incredible wildlife in Australia and uh, has just such great opportunities to get in the ocean and see some of the biggest ocean animals in the world. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. I love how Australia is so open for tourism and I mean, a very adventurous type of tourist. And so I really enjoyed running around that country and picking up gigs here and there. And I got tons of experience working with koalas and uh, snakes and, and so much experience working on the Great Barrier Reef and on the Ningaloo Reef. So uh, Australia is huge, but I would probably say that uh, my, that first trip that I did to Africa has been the most impactful for my entire life. And I'm so grateful that I went there at the age that I did because it really did help me see outside of the American bubble, um, how people per- mm-hmm. perceive us, how we perceive ourselves, what we think is important. Um, just so many of those things really jump-started me to becoming the person that I am today. In which country were you in? I went to Ghana, Togo, Benin, and Burkina Faso. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you really got to see a lot. And this is in 2005, 2005. too. I mean, now. In 2005. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have, we were still going to, uh, what is that, like internet cafes. Internet cafes, yes. But yes, we only got to I do it that. twice. And I remember the first email I got from my mom was, don't die from the cheatsy fly. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> My poor, oh, have to love our moms. my poor mother oh, put up I know. with me. I, oh. I, well, and I traveled a lot too, and they'd always be like, try to email us once every week or two. That was like how they I know. And now ego. we look at these phones and I, I... I text my mom every day now, right? It's so funny. Yep. And now so you can FaceTime from the Masai Mara. Like that's, you know, yes. it's incredible. I was just... I was just in Kruger and I couldn't get over the fact that I had internet access. Now it was limited to one little cafe, yep. but yeah, I was able to text my mom for the first time or FaceTime messenger every day, pictures of the wildlife I saw. And it's just, yeah, it's, it was, it was amazing. The difference. Uh, but I really miss that. 
Uh, I am glad I that right. I had yes. an opportunity to go to a village that I had never seen a person that looks like me before. And exactly. I, I got to see a really raw culture that wasn't mm-hmm. quite influenced yet by the rest of the world. So uh, compared to, yes. you know, that was 2005. And then I went to Papua New Guinea in 2011 and they were, it was very similar, quite raw. They were still living in their huts and fishing every day and had their little shops where they'd lay out whatever produce they were excel Mm -hmm. at at made um and there would still be people walking around half naked with tribal paint on them with a flip phone that was so (laughs) trippy so (laughs) and i don't want to sound old-fashioned but i kind of miss it i remember that Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i kind of miss like early 2000s before that before all that got to them i mean i know they're all stoked now of course um it's great to Mm -hmm. be connected Mm -hmm. and have access to information and, 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 and a free education for the most part. Uh, but yeah, I do kind of miss just being able to disappear uh, a little bit. So that to me was yeah. probably yeah. the most impactful, just really anywhere in Africa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you and Angie could talk for a, a couple hours about Yeah. Africa. Yeah. We could do a different pod on a different day. So but yeah, it's, Sounds yes, good. I, uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. good stuff there for sure. It's definitely, People always ask me, they're like, oh, what's it like? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, the minute the plan lands, I know I'm like, I'm home. Mm -hmm. I'm like Mm -hmm. the motherland. And I just, it's wonderful. And the wildlife's pretty cool too. Yes. Kruger (laughs) is a pretty cool place. Yeah. It's a a very abundant there. That's uh, out of all the parks I've been to. I've been to, I've been to Zambia, Northern and Southern Luanga, and then um, Tarangari in Tanzania. And definitely Kruger had the most abundant wildlife. So that was, it was Kind of like the, it's like the Disneyland of uh, yeah of parks. You know, there's a give and a take. For those of you listening, you know, if if you get a chance to go to Kruger, definitely do that. But be aware that if you're in the south of the park, you're going to get an abundance of animals. However, you're going to get abundance of tourists and cars self driving uh, around a park, and nothing- they get lost. Yeah, all the time. They and ask your safari <laughs> your safari driver for directions. Yep, and <laughs> there's so many of those. They drive in front of matriarchs. He was like, what are you doing? Oh, um, so, yeah, not, not, not the yeah. best decision. Making. Yeah. So if you go to Kruger, you know, make sure you also get a little bit further, like central Kruger, northern Kruger. You still see animals, but you can get away from the people. And it does still have that, that feeling of raw, real Africa up there, too. Oh, yes. Well, yes. Not, not to switch gears from Africa, because uh, I'm going to cry if I fly there tomorrow. But <laughs> you have another announcement that, that you had, you know, which is what, a few weeks back. You're now the ambassador to Curiosity Street? Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, yeah tell us about that. <laughs> big deal. <laughs> big what? That's deal. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So recently I was, uh, I was given the title of wildlife and conservation ambassador for a platform call a streaming platform called curiosity stream. I have been nerding out on curiosity stream documentaries now for about a year. And I have been in, I've been in talks with them probably since January, February. and didn't know when this was actually going to happen though. And so when it did happen, it was definitely one of those moments of, again, very similar to mutual, mutual of Omaha that, wow, I get to be a, a part of such a, a credible and intelligent and creative, curious group of people that really want to provide people with 
you know, really unique topics that you don't really get to see everywhere. And that's what I really love about them is, you know, unlike some other platforms that might not share about hagfish or parasites or a day in the life of an earthworm, you know, these guys do it and they do it well. And they have the type of technology yes, to where awesome. they, you know, these tiny, these little cameras that can zoom right into, uh, you know, an area where an earthworm would be and show you what it looks like in real life, in real time with the, with this, with this earthworm. It's amazing. And so to me, I love the fact that they have credible nonfiction science documentaries that are long form and short form. They have series and they have short clips as well. And they're all just so educational. Every time I, every time I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh, I can feel my brain noodles. They're getting some sauce. (laughs) It always makes me feel a little smarter. Yeah. Yeah. And do you get to do a lot of traveling with them as well now? I haven't yet, but I think they're, they're planning on me, uh, going to different types of conferences throughout the country in the future on their behalf. As of right now, I'm primarily doing a lot of educational video clips that they share on their social media platforms. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely provide these links uh, for our listeners on our show notes because it's very exciting to see several different platforms that we can find you on. Yeah. And actually I can offer you a pretty, pretty good deal. Uh, if you would like to explore curiosity stream to see if it will tickle your brain noodles, <laughs> check out. I love that. I'm stealing that. That's amazing. Did yeah, you come check up out. Did you coin that one? I did. Oh, I'm sure they coin it, but I came up with it one night. Stephanieism. That one's for the records. I'm writing that down. I love it. Good good for the brain noodles. Throw a little sauce in there. Uh, you know, just if you feel like thinking about something different in your life and exploring something you thought you knew, but you're, but you, uh, will learn it and learn that thing and in a a way you've never thought you could. That's the best way I can describe it. Just the visuals and and intelligent people behind some of these shows just blow my mind. So check out Curiosity Stream. Go to curiositystream.com forward slash Stephanie with a P-H-A-N-I-E. And uh, I can get you 30 days for free. Boom shakalaka. What? I'm signing up right now. Time out, team. Time out. (laughs) We'll, We'll be back. To our featured program here in a second. <laughs> so everybody get, get my 30 days free. Anybody yeah. that goes on there can get one week, but um, I can give you a whole month. And that makes me go. feel kind of special. <laughs> exactly. It's not what you know. It's who you know for sure. That's or right. the promo it, code, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So you can do promo code Stephanie at checkout or you can uh, start right in on it by going to curiositystream.com forward slash Stephanie. We'll uh, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. So awesome. We'll make sure that that's uh, on there. So just just get back to Mutual of Omaha real quick. What are you guys working on right now? We're actually not working on anything right now. We filmed okay. for five years, and now I think we're essentially just on hold. Yeah, we'll see what okay. happens. There's been a leadership change, a lot of leadership change at Mutual of Omaha, and I think mm-hmm. they're shifting gears and. Uh, I think they're trying to to just come up with new different you know different types of products within Mutual of Omaha Life Insurance, and so okay. we'll see what happens in the future. I will update you all, but until then, you can go to YouTube, 
and type in Wild mm-hmm. Kingdom. And not only can you discover episodes from the past, from 1963 mm-hmm. into 1987, but you will find awesome. five years worth of short content that is awesome to put on a playlist for your kiddos. Um, it's mm-hmm. great if you're an educator in any formal or informal setting uh, because it is credible. We work with amazing people. It's, it's family friendly. So make sure you check that out on YouTube, uh, Wild Kingdom. Angie. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a busy, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my free promo. I'm writing notes. I've got, I've got the shows lined up for the kids tomorrow morning when they know, wake up early because there was a time change here. And still, they haven't uh, fallen back yet. But uh now, there's also something extremely exciting happening with your nonprofit that our listeners should be made aware of. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah. So a few years ago, my husband and I started the Creative Animal Foundation. Essentially, we're- oh, and, oh t- really quick, just a quick, uh, a quick little uh, digression. Your husband is the one that you beat yes. Yes. We gonna, in the interview to, that, yeah. to become the mutual yeah, uh, yeah. Omaha Mutual it's, Wildlife. It's such an amazing story. Uh, First of all, Angie, really quick. I really I love your attempt right there. Mutual uh, animal Wild. Omaha. Kingdom. Animal something something. <laughs> Mutual I gotta write, oh. of Omaha's. I'm just going to go Wild Kingdom. Kingdom. Yes, yes. I'm just YouTubing Wild Kingdom. That's yes. all I need to know. Yes. Uh, okay, so my husband was working for an animal rescue right outside of Omaha, Nebraska for four years. And that animal rescue worked very closely with Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, providing the animals to Jim Fowler and Peter Gross, who's another ambassador for the company. And he got word of it, actually, I think a month before the contest truly started. So he had a leg up and he was working it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, he had been working with them. He's actually handed animals to Jim Fowler. So he just felt like I have this in the bag. I'm the, I'm their animal guy. <laughs> and so he's pretty confident. He made a really good audition video and probably once it got to about the top 12 out of several hundred that made it through the first level. Um, I noticed his video and thought, wow, I, first of all, I could tell he was a total Midwestern boy, which is where I'm from. And secondly, I thought he was incredibly talented and, um, yeah, obviously he's adorable, but I was so focused on my job. I was like, I'm getting this. This is my job. I'm not going to let no boy get in the way. And so once it got to the top 12, we made this group, um, within the contestants and we started speaking to each other behind the scenes, just say, gosh, you know, what a great opportunity. Good luck to all of you. And I truly do feel like we all genuinely were like, this is just cool. I can't believe this happened. Yeah. And we're all still friends today too. So that's cool. But Mm -hmm. Tim was in that group and we, you know, I did a little sidebar message and basically just said, hi, uh, you know, your video (laughs) is super good. Um, you want to geek out and talk about dinosaurs because that's how I hit on guys. <laughs> um, he was like, yeah. And I go, what's your favorite dinosaur? And I think he said um, a pterodactyl, which now I think they don't even technically classify that as like a mm-hmm. legit dinosaur. Um, 
but yeah, we, we clicked and we were friends for a couple weeks and just over the phone. And, and then, you know, we just slowly started figuring out that we were falling in love, even though we were mm-hmm. in denial of it for a long, long time. And then when I won, uh, we had basically said, well, hey, like, let's just commit to this. And so mm-hmm. we've been together since and we got married last year. And it's been awesome to be uh, in a relationship with somebody who has the same passion as you, mm-hmm. but has uh, a lot of other skill sets that I don't have, along with incredible optimism and positivity and patience. Mm-hmm. Like that I'm, I'm really grateful because I am not very good at actually any of those, believe it or not. <laughs> but he's also an incredible artist. He is. Right? Yeah, he is. Promo him a little bit because Tim is amazing. Amazing work. Uh, yeah. He is just an awesome human being. He, yeah. he, if he could just paint animals every single day and give them all away for free or to help out wildlife conservation, he would. Uh, he has been a painter since he was a teen. He primarily focuses on oils he can paint literally anything. However, he t- tends to paint animals that look quite realistic, but then also splashes color and just has plain paint everywhere. So he, what really waters down his oils to make it look like watercolors. And they're just really cool paintings. And he has slowly become well-known for animal paintings within at least the nonprofit world because he's been able to provide people with a painting that might be worth $500 to $3,000 and he might take maybe a small profit to none. And these nonprofits, you know, do galas, sell his art, and they make money for conservation. So he's kind of found a little niche there. And now he's starting to do live painting at live painting at galas as well, because it's just yeah. it's so fun to watch him paint it. It's mm-hmm. I don't know, it's really cool. So it's he's just so talented at that, but he also loves doing filmmaking and editing, graphic design, and even taught himself animation. So he's just a jack of all trades in this area. Yeah. So if you want to follow that, check out uh, davisonart.com or go on Instagram and it's at davisonart. And you two have started a nonprofit, which is involved in a very exciting movie being released soon. So sorry, I had to, yes. that was a long digression, but it's such a cool story. I had to make sure that it was told <laughs> because I, I haven't heard it in that much detail and I loved it. It's amazing. So, uh, well, uh, when we get together and talk about Kruger, I'll tell you that we had such cool synchronicities as well. Yeah. Things that we were like, wow, this is, it's just a good fit. Yes. Well, uh, I always joke, so- my, my husband <laughs> was the, uh, he was the lion keeper and I was the zebra keeper. So we had, we're a little opposite, <laughs> but we, we make, we make it work very well, very well now. So he captured yes. you. He captured you. Yes. He got you. Yes. <laughs> he lets me roam free well, and wild for the most part. And so it, it works. It works. Oh, oh good. Yes. Good, good. Uh, and then he, he helps you feel safe. Exactly. Exactly. He knows how to like rein me in awesome. and keep me grounded. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Oh, relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how many people are we, how many people are in their cars right now? Like, oh, shut up and talk about animals. <laughs> well, that's the, animals bring us together. That's the thing. And, and men, men True. that are involved in the zoological field are actually pretty genius because they're, it is mm. primarily women based in this day and age. Yep. Yep. Same thing. Yep. For, yep. Same thing for okay, veterinary school. Um, all vet schools yeah. are predominantly women as well. So 
hear that. So if you're a lion and you're looking for a female zebra, now you know the zoological <laughs> field is <laughs> here for you. you. <laughs> Promo code love. <laughs> so my cheesy love story uh, somehow led us to creating a nonprofit called the Creative Animal Foundation. We'd always wanted a nonprofit. We had been warned not to do it, but we did it anyway. And I think our biggest reason for that was the fact that we were meeting so many people that wanted to provide us with financial support and to give us donations for the work that we were doing because they trusted us and believed that we are credible. And we, I feel like Tim and I do a really good job of surrounding ourselves with really incredible, intelligent people that we have seen are walking their talk and that use the money in the right way, according to what our belief system is. And so we like to partner with and donate to projects around the globe that we feel are extremely important. And one of them right now is focusing on the African penguin. Uh, believe it or not, there are penguins that live in Africa. Uh, it's in the southern tip of Africa. And they are, so they're more of a temperate penguin. They unfortunately have kind of had a rough go at it, you guys. Um, In the 1800s, there was 4 million African penguins. And because humans found where they were located and discovered that their guano could actually be used as fertilizer for crops, humans started taking all their guano And within a hundred years, all of their guano was gone. Now you're thinking to yourself like, so why? I mean, penguins don't need to keep their poop. (laughs) You know, it's just highly Mm -hmm. nutritious poop. Essentially, they don't need that. But there is a huge group of them of the population that doesn't have access to uh, dirt and sandstone and um, trees and just a lot of vegetation for protection from predators in the sun during the breeding season. So they, once they lost the guano that they used to burrow in to protect their, protect their chicks and eggs from predators in the sun, they were now in open air, completely exposed during breeding and rearing of their, their chick. Now what that did is it, allowed for huge kelp gulls to come in and try to, you know, push the parent away, scare the parent away so that the gulls could eat the chicks or the eggs. Um, the other issue is the heat during the hottest times during the year can get up to 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And once it hits about 92, 93, 95, they start really experiencing heat stroke to the point where they have to make a really hard decision do they stay and die of heat stroke or do they abandon their chick so that they can get some relief from the cold ocean, but then expose their, their baby to predators in the sun. And what's really unfortunate is that this has been going on for well over, well over a hundred years, about 150 years. And they are just sitting there in the heat every single day. And it's, to go there and actually watch it in action was really, really hard to watch. They lean back, they open up their mouth, and they actually are panting for like eight hours throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And as you know, penguins take turns. The sure. mother and father take turns uh, on the egg. And so one will leave for eight hours and search for food. And 
so the other one is just has to sit there in the heat and essentially just not being cooked alive kind of like they're, they have black feathers. They're just absorbing this immense amount of heat. And unfortunately, you know, it might've been five hours, but now it's eight hours because they're having a really hard time finding fish because we are overfishing our oceans. And because of climate change, uh, ocean currents are shifting. So the prey species are shifting and moving. So it's just becoming harder and harder to find food. So they're out there for even longer. And sometimes that parent never makes it back. Um, and if they do, sometimes they come back to, you know, uh, unfortunately their, their partner being, you know, dying from heat stroke or have abandoned their egg or chick. So it's really, it's really, really unfortunate. They really just have had a hard time with guano scraping, egg harvesting, climate change, overfishing, and plastic pollution and oil spills. So now they are down from nine, they're down to 99%. Uh, I'm sorry, they're down 99% of their population. So we have about 1% of this population left. And that's about 50,000 birds, which sounds a lot, but it's not when there was 4 million. And are they still guano scraping? The guano has been completely gone since the early 1900s. I mean, all that's left is rocks and sand on some of these islands. No vegetation, no plants. There's severe storms. It, so the wind is intense. So a lot of plants can't survive there. It's like basically right at sea level. So it floods a lot as well, especially now with the increase in the ocean level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, they're just... You know, there are some of the species, or I'm sorry, some of the animals that are up on the mainland. So you've heard of Boulder's Beach in Cape Town. You know, there's a lot along the coast on the mainland, and they have a lot of opportunity to protect themselves under dirt or in really thick vegetation, especially in really protected areas in South Africa. Um, but on these islands off the coast of South Africa, it's just, it's, it's a rough go for them. So, Stephanie, you you know, you, the one thing Angie and I have been very fortunate in the last couple of years is, is talk to experts like you and from around the world. And, you know, we have a, a global perspective now on what's going on out there. And I think as you describe the African penguin, I'm just sitting here thinking of all the species we've covered and all the pressures that they're facing. Are you seeing that too around the world? Like wherever you go and the shows that you do and the education that you push, you, you talked about a climate change, plastic pollution, human, you know, the Anthropocene, you know, this era that humans are dominating. So are you seeing that too? And you have this global perspective now of like, oh my God, this is yeah, not good. I have not been good. seeing it now for about 15 years and it's, it's heartbreaking. It's hard to watch. What's even more frustrating is people that just say, oh, just do this as though it's that easy to fix. You know, what's really great about this penguin project is that there are a lot of individuals that obviously want to make up for what humans have done in the past. And so they are doing something really great. They have found an actual solution, which is not the case in every story right. that mm -hmm. I cover, mm -hmm. you know, but this is a positive story. They essentially different organizations came together and said, look, we all had different skill sets. We all had different ways to funnel money to this project. How can we give this penguin a helping hand? Otherwise they're going to become functionally extinct within 10 years, which essentially means we will not be able to bring them back 
they are doomed to extinction. And so what can we do? Well, we can't fix climate change like that. We can't um, control how South Africa protects their marine protected areas, or we can't tell them what to do with how they manage their, uh, their fishing stocks. And so the, the best thing we can do right now is put a lot of money into uh, prevention of oil spills, uh, into trying to clean up plastic pollutions and decreasing, more importantly, prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, but the best, best thing that we can do is provide them with artificial nests. So we don't have any guano. So these incredible people came together and like designed a nest that replicates the guano burrow, the original guano burrows. And there's actually like three or four on the island. They're the last ones in the world for this species. And so they, they tried a few models and royally failed. It was the wrong color. It didn't have enough airflow. It was too humid. It was not humid enough. It got destroyed in the, um, the storms. And so they're like, gosh, we really need to truly try to mimic the guano burrows. So they put in these sensors and was able to record the heat and humidity and airflow. And then from there, they started looking at materials. And of course, they have to look at materials that are, uh, financially achievable sure. as well mm-hmm. because everybody cares about animals and wants conservation to happen, but nobody wants to put their money where their mouth is. Right. So we're all very limited on funds. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to be resourceful as possible, but also make these things withstand the test of time as well with all the storms and everything. So they've created these incredible nests and they put out a hundred and a lot of those funds to do that came from a Kickstarter campaign that raised well over $200,000 for that. So then the head of it, Kevin Graham from the Dallas Zoo, he asked me to come and do social media. And Tim and I learned more about this project. And we're like, no, we want to make a film about this. We got to tell everybody, look, I know you hear lots of sad stories mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. there, but look at how all these entities. So it's a government entity, a zoological facility, a nonprofit. All these guys came together, put down their egos, listened to each other and put their skill set together and failed and failed and failed, but didn't give up and finally found a solution to give these birds a fighting chance. And it's working. These They put out these nests and penguins sprint. Have you ever seen a penguin run on all fours? No, I need to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is the strangest thing I've ever seen. They sprint in them. And the moment they get into those homes, you see their body temperature cool down. They stop panting. They relax. And some of them pop out eggs within a day. It's amazing. So So we had to film that. Yes. Yep. I need to see that. How do I see that? How, how do I have a, a possibly happy ending and for a wonderful conservation story? Okay, so we have a website, savingpenguins.org. Okay, on that site, you can learn. Penguins. Yeah. And we'll put all this on our show notes, but I want to check it out tonight as soon as we hang up. Savingpenguins.org. Okay. On that website, you will learn the history of these species, why they became um, so close to extinction. So the guano scraping um, all the way up to climate change and oil spills. So it kind of breaks that down a little bit. We even have photos uh, from the 1800s in there wow. with them scraping the guano, oh, and that's in the film yeah. as well. And then we yeah. also show the process of how these um, people teamed up together and how they created this nest. It's This is why I love this film and why I love 
this project is because it also has kind of a STEM aspect to it as well. It shows people that we uh, as scientists and conservationists have to come up with tons of really creative solutions all the time. We have to be artistic as well. We have to be uh, really resourceful to come up with solutions. And so it's really cool how we break that down in the website as well. And we'll have the film on there and it's going to be around 13 minutes long, but it'll share the entire story. I'm hosting my husband's behind the camera and did the editing, graphics, animations, all of that. And our goal is that you watch the film, you see kind of the crap that we did to these penguins and how, how people coming together from so many solutions to fix them. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite part. And I know you're like, why does she keep saying that? Because I can't, you know, Chris earlier, you said you've done stories all over the world and it's hard to see all these, uh, these really sad stories and, and so many things that are just not working very well. And to be honest with you, what may, why it's heartbreaking to me is because a lot of people just can't put their egos down. They, they're fighting for, Mm -hmm. to make sure that they can put food on their table first. And that is always going to come first always. And some people at many different levels will do whatever it takes to make sure they're taking care of first. And then after that, which I'm not saying is selfish, I'm just saying that it's sometimes we can go above and beyond and we'll let fear take us over and we're afraid of losing our jobs that we, that prevents people from taking risks. But then on the other spectrum, we have, you know, insane greed as well. So that's, what's really hard. And so when you have entities that will actually work together, even when they have to fight for the same grants. If they can actually say, look, I understand we both need to put food on the table, but in, but in the end, we need to work together. If we really are passionate about this, we, we work on our jobs are going to be safe. We're going to be okay. Let's work together. Let's share the funds and put our heads together and our skill sets together and create a solution. That to me is what gives me hope. It's, it's, so many individuals and their passion is great. But when you can get entities that can share their resources and skill set together to put down their egos and listen to each other and be okay with being wrong and being okay with failing, that to me is impressive and exactly what we need to move forward in order to make this planet a healthier place for all living things. It is the, it's the only way uh, to move forward, as you mentioned. And, And I applaud you and your husband and all those entities that are working together, like you mentioned, from the zoological, from the government, from the nonprofit. So we'll we'll share all that information on our show notes and uh, cannot wait to watch it I and learn and hear a hopeful Do you story. want to know how you can help? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay, cool. So once you go to the website, you watch the film, you fall in love with the penguins, you agree that everybody a part of it is super badass and you want to help. So we provide on the shop page an opportunity for, yes, you to just donate. If you want to just donate, it's a 501c3. You can get a tax write-off. But and you can for have the, the holidays. Oppor- Who wouldn't want that? But that's yes. what I want for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the cool part. We have two penguins that are uh, stuffed, stuffed animal penguins that are probably the most sustainable, organic stuffed animal in the planet right now. And we have a parent penguin and a chick penguin. And here is the parent one right here. And they're so cute, aren't they? Yes. And I have two boys. So there we go. Perfect. 
So our goal is that we put up these adorable stuffed animals and people fall in love with them and they want to purchase them. And they're $25 a piece and uh, a big chunk of the proceeds goes straight towards the penguin nest. Okay. The next thing that we have to offer is you can sponsor an actual nest for $50. That way, you know, you're like, you'll know like one of those nests is mine is because of me. I help do that and know that this is going to last for many, many breeding cycles. So you providing one nest is not just for one breeding pair. You know, there's two breeding seasons a year and they can have up to two chicks. So it's obviously going to be extremely beneficial. And it's been tested and failed and tested and failed and (laughs) tested and super successful now, which is awesome. Yep. And if you want to be super fancy, you can get, uh, you can sponsor a nest that has some high, you know, hardcore technology on it. So we can continue our research because as climate change happens and it shifts our weather and the temperature, um, mm-hmm. we're obviously going to have to adjust the way we design this nest accordingly. So if you want to be super fancy, it's two fifty for a whole teched out nest. I love it. A teched out guano wow. African penguin nest. Very yes. cool. Yes. Yes. It's what gives me hope, you know, and when I see this working Mm -hmm. and it's so visual, I think it's really hard for people when we tell them, oh, all the amphibians are dying because of the Kitchard virus. People are like, "Uh, what is that? What does that look like? What is it doing to the amphibian? How can I help? I think Mm -hmm. that's what is a big struggle for us in the conservation world is people can't always see it. Um, I'm not the type to share a bunch of videos of animals dying or looking like sad puppy faces in order mm-hmm, to get right. funds. Um, and that works really, really well. It's just not my style. So my style is let me show you awesome people coming together that have created this nest mm-hmm. that's actually working and you can contribute to it. And what I think that honestly would just give people a nice, like a big breath of fresh air to go, Oh, finally I'm hearing a positive story that I can be a part of. Yes. Well, and, and I also want to uh, applaud you and your nonprofit, the Creative Animal Foundation, for exactly what the name is in the title, creative. Because so often people ask me, well, I'm not a zookeeper or I'm not a field biologist or conservation biologist. How can I, how can I help these animals? Because we do tend to and it's probably some of our own fault here on the podcast. I mean, we should even explore more people to interview, but we, you don't have to necessarily be a scientist to help out or a zookeeper or a zoo educator. And with that being said too, if you don't have funds to donate, that's not the only way to help out either. And that's why I love your foundation and some of your back history. If you would maybe talk a little bit about that as far as how to mix it up when it comes to telling the conservation story and living, walking the walk, not just talking the talk and how you and your husband lived in a tiny mm-hmm. home and traveled around the country, educating people on <laughs> conservation and wildlife. Yes. Yes. Why is? <laughs> and they still live in it. Yeah. So still live in it. <laughs> okay. Remember we were talking about these sad stories, right? So I, I do want to make it clear that obviously intermixed between all these sad stories are incredible people. There's more wonderful people on the planet than not yes, wonderful that's people. What we've learned there really are. For sure. Yeah. 
Yes, there there are so many people that are out there giving it their all. Even if they have a full time job doing something outside of this field, there are people doing whatever they can they can. And so I think after seeing so many stories and and working with so many different scientists around the world and many different ecosystems, I, I eventually learned like, oh, why is this happening? How do we stop it? And in the end, it all came back to me and what I'm purchasing for my car for my house, um, the decorations inside my house, the cleaners, every single thing that we use on a daily basis comes from the planet. We use it and then we throw it away. And we've really become such a throwaway, wasteful culture because we're a consumer culture. And I'm not here to guilt and shame anybody because number one, that don't work. I know for a fact it doesn't. If you're out there guilting and shaming everybody, give it up. It's going to turn you into a grumpy, sassy, angry, sad human being. And so I, I was like, look, I don't, I don't want to guilt and shame everybody, but I want people to see and I want people to understand. And then I want them to make the best choices that they can and be patient with themselves and be proud of themselves when they do accomplish something. And when they're ready, they can add on another thing to try to do their part in their own home or in their breaks or when they go on vacation. So what Tim and I did was said, okay, well, since we're teaching so much about this, we better walk our talk. I thought we were doing really well, but we really wanted to challenge ourselves. So we decided to move into a 170 foot square foot Tiny house on wheels. Before you were married. Um, it's before we were married. Yep. Three years before we got married, yes. we moved into a tiny house on wheels. And essentially, we decided we're going to do this to walk our talk, to challenge ourselves to see really how hard is it to be more sustainable. And then we wanted to share that very honestly with the world via YouTube uh, radio, podcast, however we could, blogs, whatever. And I feel like the tiny house culture is so like over romanticized. <laughs> it really is. Tell, and we love the tiny more. house shows. We need details. What happens when you go okay, to the bathroom? So <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if you really want to know, this is how this went. So we, we get a sponsor to donate a tiny house to our nonprofit. And we toured around the country in this tiny house, teaching people about sustainable living. And at first it was amazing because for six months we were kind of living out of our Prius as we were traveling around speaking, waiting for the tiny house to get built and, and finish the episode for Tiny House Big Living, season four, episode four, Zoo Tiny House. So once we moved in it, we were like, this is a mansion. This is amazing. And it is, it is such a beautiful tiny house and it's so well designed. I loved our design. We've spent so much time looking through other tiny houses to make sure it really fit us and our personality. Um, and it was really great. And, and then we were, you know, then we started going like, yeah, let's let other people come in here because in the end I wanted people to walk in just like a museum exhibit. I wanted you to see it and touch it and smell it and feel it and be like, wow, this is what life would be like. Or I would show you areas like, look, I, that's all I have in my closet. And people are like, that's all the clothes you have. And I'm like, well, yeah, how many of your clothes do you actually wear in your closet? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 
but, but for people to look in my house and actually see that we didn't have plastic in the house and we have very little clothes, um, and just that we were, what we did have, we used very well and the things that we didn't have. And just the questions were amazing. It was so cool to have 50,000 Americans in our house. It also helped us feel a little bit better about the fact that we were driving and pulling this tiny house around the country. Um, but we really wanted to show with people, show people like, look, uh, being sustainable and caring about animals isn't just about not eating meat. Right. It's mm-hmm. so much bigger mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more complex than that. And it's so much more individualized. It depends on who you are and your health, your family's health and how active you are. And, you know, what kind of jobs you have and what your income is and what you have accessible to you in your hometown, which is a huge issue for a lot of people. So we, we just wanted to show people their options, show where we excelled and where we really struggled and what we loved and what we hated, which brings me to the personal thing. I hate my toilet. I have a composting toilet <laughs> and I hate it. And, and I see it on these tiny house shows now and I'm like, oh, you guys are going to regret that. No idea. <laughs> no idea. Oh, God. How does a composting toilet work? I must ask. Yeah. So we have, um, it looks like a toilet. It's a plastic, like made out of recycled plastic shaped just like a toilet type of structure. In the front, it has a uh, bucket that um, you pee in. And then the whole big back end is for the number twos. And you essentially put in, uh, you can either put in peat moss or coconut husk. And we do coconut husk because peat isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. We know that the more we repeat out of the earth, we're releasing more carbon. carbon. Mm-hmm. And so we, as soon as we found that one out, we're like, oh crap. And so we switched to literally, literally. <laughs> so we switched to coconut husk. And sometimes we have to put in diatomaceous earth to prevent it from getting uh, little gnats. Yay. Nothing's oh. more fun than taking a toosie and having little gnats come up on your bum. Um, <laughs> that happened to me in Africa a few times for sure. Yes. yes. Yeah, but we're not in Africa. That's I have true. a 80,000 tiny house in Santa Barbara and <laughs> depending on how the temperature and the air is oh, where we live could yeah. determine whether that compost uh, gets angry or not. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. definitely, um, obviously not everybody has to have a composting toilet. You can add a, a black water tank to your tiny house if you wish, if it's on wheels. But we wanted to save five to eight hundred gallons of water between the two of us a week. Sure. So That's a That's a I deal with it. Okay. Um, I miss having a bigger bathroom and I miss square. It's rectangular, which is great because it allows us to scratch that itch whenever we do want to pick it up and move around. But I do miss a square house. <laughs> okay. I miss yeah, being able yeah. to get up and put my feet on the ground. But I do not miss the things. I don't miss mm-hmm. all of the things that I was told I have to have to be happy because you learn pretty quickly. You don't need all that crap to be happy. You know, it's just, it's endless. It never goes away. Every season you're going to have to get more clothes, more shoes. And, you know, and, and next year turquoise won't be the color anymore. And, you know, the whole shabby or not shabby chic, but uh, yeah, maybe shabby chic and whatever Chip and Joanne are talking about, that's going to be out. And you're going to have to redo your entire living room and kitchen again. Like all that stuff came from a place. And when you're done with it, it goes to a place. And I've seen where it goes. I've swam next to it. I've crawled over it. 
it's there. I've seen stuff from the 1980s floating in the ocean that I'm like, oh my God, yeah. that is my Barbie doll or that yeah, is my it Lego. It go away. Yes. It never goes away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we try and we are so not perfect. We learn every single day where we could be doing better. But the key is to not be hard on yourself. Do what you can when you can the best you can. And as you learn new things, you pat yourself on the back and implement it into your new habit and your new habit into your lifestyle and just keep moving forward with it. And if you learn that what you're doing was actually the devil, then you just switch it to something else, you know, like you just have to keep trying that. But the biggest request I have um, for all of you listening is just please walk your talk. That's my biggest favor is going on the internet and screaming from the rooftop how everybody else needs to change and everybody else needs to do something different isn't helping. We need you to do your part. And if you're not working in the wildlife field at all, that's totally fine. But please make sure you make smart choices in your own home when you're shopping for various projects. And you can always do a cleanup that matters. It mm-hmm. truly, truly matters. That one bottle cap you pick up could save the life of an animal that you say you love so, so much. Right. You know, so it's it goes above and beyond sharing and, and posting. It's it's amazing how much junk there is in the ocean. I know a couple of months back, I I went and walked on the beach just half a mile, and I had so much garbage that I picked up, and it was just in the in the weekend before there was a beach cleanup. And that was just from yep. the past day or two. It's amazing. And, and you are an inspiration and, you know, you do walk the walk and, and thank you. Now being the, uh, the feminine male here that, that Angie coined, <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up. in the most loving way. <laughs> I, I love you, Angie. Uh, I think it's honestly, just to add to that, um, it's, I think what you're trying to say is you're not, Andrew, what you're trying to say is Chris is not one of those type of guys that's like, I have to be this man that I was told exactly. I have to be. Like, yeah. that's oh, it. Yeah. It's like, and most men yeah. are aware mm-hmm. and mature and kind and, um, and love yeah, animals. So, and love animals. Love animals. animals yes. 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 Love animals. And great dad. So what's I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, that's the, mo- you're the, you're, you're the modern <laughs> dude. I'm so sorry, Chris. We spoke too much about women and I feel like we stole your spotlight for a little bit. (laughs) I'm just joking. No, 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 no. It it is, it is, you know, and after being in academia and, and seeing some of the challenges that women face and, and hearing about it, it, it it is sad. And there's a lot, lot we have to do uh, to progress, but Speaking about women, I do want to talk about your your program too that you work with women in the wild, right? Like you're promoting yeah. women in conservation. And I know a lot of our listeners are, are female, at least 50%, but probably 60 plus percent. And so passionate. And, and we hear from them on Instagram, they email us or on Facebook. So what is that program about and what are you doing? For a very similar reason, I had so many people over the years that have been writing me on all the different social media platforms, asking me very, you know, questions like, how did you get into this career? What kind of choices should I be making? Stuff like that. But then also having people even within our career coming to me and saying, what do you do if this happens out in the field? What, um, you know, what do I do? I really, I really want to keep going with my career, but I've had children. So I've been told I, I shouldn't or I can't because that would be selfish. 
Um, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Like stuff that's just quite personal. And I realized that we just don't have very many females that, uh, there's tons of females working in our field, but we don't have a lot that are in a position where the public can access them. Seize them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so again, it, just like I said, growing up, I didn't see any female hosts. Obviously I knew about Jane Goodall and Sylvia Earle and Joan Embry. I knew about them, but that's still very few in my life. So I wanted to expand that significantly um, past just a wildlife host. Okay. Like we're one of, again, we're a puzzle piece in this big picture. I wanted to show all the other puzzle pieces. So um, a group of friends and I were chatting about this and uh, we decided like, let's just start, you know, somewhat of like a, it's not like match.com or anything like that, but it's like, it does show you, you go to my website, stephanierney.com. You click on the women in the wild page, what moment that women in the wild tab and you'll see about 20 to 40 profiles of many different women or, or anybody who sees themselves as a woman and considers themselves a woman uh, in different positions from being a zookeeper, animal care specialist, animal trainer, marine biologist, zoologist, anthropologist, um, scientist, filmmaker, uh, just podcast parasitologist. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a podcaster yet. Yeah, so All I right. should have you on there. But it's great because you click on that profile picture of an individual, and you really get to dive in a little bit deeper. How, how did you get this job? What, what degree did you get? Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Some of the women are very, very honest about you know getting pregnant as a teen, and that you know basically getting in their way initially, but then they realized after a while, they're like, wait a second, I want to be a great example for my children. And so one of the individuals, she went back to school all the way towards getting her PhD. And now she's this Mm -hmm. incredible herpetologist that's working in South America, uh, Central and South America with uh, crocodiles and doing incredible work with IUCN. And so it's, I just love the opportunity to show off these incredible women that inspire me, blow my mind. They go, they really do. They really have dealt with just a lot of challenges and Mm -hmm. have succeeded. And I just want professors and teachers and parents to be able to access these women and see that there, there really are, uh, women out there from the lab all the way to Central America, you know, capturing crocodiles to learn more about them. So it's, it's a really cool site. Oh, Stephanie, I applaud you. Clap, 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 clap machine. That's incredible. And now let me, let me just jump in real quick and say, let me just applaud Angie because Angie did have two children during graduate school. And I watched her, you know, I watched how hard she worked. I saw her waddling around at nine months pregnant, wearing a lab <laughs> My coat. water broke in our, in our building, in our, yes. our animal science building. <laughs> so for the women out there, you can do it. And, and I love talking about Angie. And, and when I have people reach out to me about wanting to go to grad school, I'm like, look what Angie did. You know, so she's an inspiration too. So amazing stuff. And, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did have to, did have to say you're an inspiration. Well, I appreciate that. And obviously I I worked with really good people that were very flexible. And so a lot of it's getting, surrounding yourself around wonderful people um, Mm -hmm. throughout your whole life. I always, that's how I'm going to raise my boys. And I always recommend to students, make sure you have the right people on the bus to help you get where you're going. Right. 
And Stephanie, since I have you here and we're talking about women and wildlife and science and things like that, I want to pick your brain a little bit about how do you or do I, uh, now that I'm a teacher, how do we, how do we get more women involved? How do we promote them taking risks and taking chances and doing what they feel passionate about, even if the odds are stacked against them? It's a really hard question because what I am learning, the more I listen, is that it's it's very individualized. It, you know, it's, it, I think first and foremost, we just need to provide proper education for all females around the planet. I think that we need to change the way that we say certain things. Like I, I can't imagine how many times all the women listening here have heard someone say, oh, well, when you're a mom one day, or, oh, you'll understand when you have kids. And I ne- I've never imagined myself being a mom and having kids. I imagine myself being an explorer, yet thousands of people told me I was going to be a mom and I was going to have kids. And then to extend past that to say, oh, well, you're not going to be able to be a- an archaeologist or a paleontologist because that will require you to travel the world. And what do you, you know, how would you be a mom? doing that. And you have to be really smart. You know, I think it's just little things in our culture that we say and do, and we just repeat it because our parents said it and they repeat it from what their grandparents said. And we, I think we just need to be better at catching ourselves at some of those little phrases that aren't, they're not like damaging, but they get in your head and they slowly start. And and this is for everybody. Males obviously have to deal with this crap too, but we just need to be really aware of it with young girls and, and not always put them in pink and purple and blue, you know, like it's, it's little things like that. Um, it's also not being so terrified of them getting hurt all the time too. You know, and I'm getting really basic here. Okay. Obviously we know that this is quite complex, but this all, it all kind of looks different depending on the family and the culture and the belief system and really what is going on in the world at that time in that part of the world. Um, But I think the best thing that we can do is provide proper education, provide proper reproductive education and health. That is probably one of the most important things that our entire planet needs in every category is female getting proper education and proper health and support and not being shamed and guilted into um, to anything Really, I mean, you, we own our own bodies. We should be able to do what we want to do with our bodies. But I would prefer that every woman knew that and that they had that option and that they had the option to protect themselves and keep themselves safe. And, and then the next thing would be, um, here, at least I can speak for America is that we just really need to do the best to, uh, tell people, yeah, family is really important. Okay. This is another one of those phrases. Family is so, so important but you need to have your own life too. And I think one of the things that I hear the most is I've been told that if I leave my home city or my home state or our country, I'm going to get attacked. I'm going to get raped and this bad things are going to happen to me. And the other thing I hear, and this is primarily from college girls. The other thing I hear is I, I feel like I'm being guilted by my family that I can't leave because then I'm not here for the holidays and I'm not here for all that stuff. And that remember family is the most important thing. So those things, again, they feel really small, but they're really heavy and they 
you know, not having proper um, reproductive health and sex education and um, being guilted into or feared into leaving or doing something different than what your family has done or your group of friends have done can really stop somebody from moving forward in a field or a passion that they could really do amazing work in. Uh, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that we are on the cusp of having more women mentors and or whether they're zookeepers or scientists or conservation writers or filmmakers. And we just need to, I think, share more of that. And so I, I encourage all of our listeners, and we'll put on our show notes to go to stephaniearney.com or is it dot dot com. Dot, dot com. And check out Women in the Wild and see what's happening. I know one of my big take home messages is I'm going to put some links to a lot of these uh, websites and YouTube and uh, the Wild Kingdom series and other mm -hmm. things for the women in my class. Awesome. And I'm not necessarily going to say like, oh, only women should watch this and this mm -hmm. is a mentor. Mm -hmm. I'll let them figure that out. But just the more exposure, because I a lot of my students come up to me and they say, I want to do exactly what you're doing. And first of all, I said, actually, no, you probably don't. I don't even have a full-time job. I just kind of piecemeal all this fun stuff together. But yes, I get what you're, but I think what it is is they see me and they see my age and they see that I'm doing, have done and continue to do cool things. I travel. I uh, left my husband with my two kids to go to Africa for 10 days. Yep. And it was great. And he wasn't babysitting. He was taking care of the family. And that's, there's, there's lots of ways to stay involved and do things. And it doesn't, as you mentioned, it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. And if you have the right support with you, like your husband, Tim, or my husband, John, great family. My family knew that, especially as a zookeeper, I wasn't home for Christmas. Somebody has to take care of the animals. Mm -hmm. And there are many holidays I missed and they just, they're amazing. We shifted and we celebrated on the 27th or whatever it was. And so it's, it's, a, but it's a, but like you said, a lot of it's like believing in yourself. And I think the more we have role models doing that, the more we get the conversation going, the more we showcase it, the more we walk the talk, the better off. Yeah. And, what, and, and I just, mm -hmm. I, I, I was just going to say, once you try it too, once you walk your talk, once you, once you give some of these things a shot, you'll build your confidence and then you'll be like, Oh, Hey, that wasn't so scary. That wasn't so bad. And then you layer it. So, you know, I have a lot of people are like, how did you do all the things you did? I'm like, I didn't tell myself like, Oh, I'm going to do all these things. You layer it. You do one and you build one confidence. And then you're like, Hey, that wasn't too bad. I'll try another risk or I'll t try something new. And, um, you know, I definitely failed a lot of the time too, but you know, you pick yourself back up. <laughs> And you go forward and I guess when, a, when a door opens, you, you just don't let the, those fears or anybody else hold you back. And yes, there, there might be a time you might have to dig into your credit card to do what you need to do. Okay. You're going to pay it off. Money is abundant. You'll make more money later. You can pay it off later. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would like to, to leave everybody with, with something here. Uh, Remember that we, first of all, we are, we're homo sapiens. We, we are an animal and we have animal instincts. Okay. So that's where a lot of our anxiety and stuff comes from. Anxiety was an incredible tool that kept us alive for the most part for a really, really long time. 
Um, remember that we ha- also have identities. We have, you know, this concept of why am I here? Who am I while I'm here? How am I going to die? What happens when I die? And really, if you think of any problem that's happening on the planet, if you peel it back and peel it back, it's all connected to that, to identity and our fear Mm -hmm. of death. And I can honestly connect why somebody refuses to recycle or not. I can connect it to the fact that it's an identity, who I am, why am I here, and where am I going to go when I die? So if you keep that in mind, it helps it. It's kind of a weird trick that'll help you understand why things happen the way that they do. And it also helps you become a little bit more compassionate because we're all in this exact same place, right? We're all, you know, whatever you want to call my, mm-hmm. this meat robot that has some conscious energy in it, whatever you want to call it, we all are experiencing that together and we need to have more compassion. We need to listen to each other. We need to understand our animal instincts and we need to understand how powerful our identities are to us. And then you will understand why the world is complex and frustrating, but also why it is so beautiful if we do listen and we do um, work together. I think that's it. I just really wanted, (laughs) sorry, I just kind of had a pause. I'm welling up here. You're a wonderful speaker. I love all of that. I need that. I need that like on a shirt. That's a lot to put on. And I think that's That's honestly one of the hardest things is it's so, but it's so, it's so true though. It's so true. And it's just, and I think that obviously all of your experiences, a lot of your travel has really been so eye opening and, and, and that's just such a key part of this human experience. And, but like you said, if you can't really look past what you consider your identity to be, how you're raised, who raised you, things like that, then it's, you're going to struggle more limited is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. A lot of our fights and Mm -hmm. wars Mm -hmm. and frustrations come from the fact that we're Mm -hmm. desperately trying to defend our identity and our, and who we are and you know, how we're going to die. That incredible fear that a lot of humans have is, is attached to that identity. So that's why people fight for their lives for, um, for abortion or not abortion or for, um, sex education or not, you know, it's, it's connected to their belief system, which is connected to their identity and who they are and how they die. So if you just think of that, you, yes, again, you'll understand the, why things are so messy, but it also could be a little superpower, you know, that I've hand, they were handing you where you can sure, say, okay, absolutely. now I understand people's behavior. How can I use this in a positive way to influence all the members in our global tribe? to say, look, we're all in this together. I understand you're scared. I'm scared too, but let's make the best of this. And deep down, most of us feel that we know kind of what's right and wrong for the most part, even through different cultures and different belief system, there's still kind of a right or wrong. And uh, let's do our best to stick to that. And the best way to do that is by doing it through example. And not pointing at the fingers at other people. It's doing it, living it yourself. And and then you will inspire other people. I know it. I see it every day. Oh, Stephanie. Yes, that is preach, sister. Yes, that is <laughs> so true. And instead of having that whole long thing on a t-shirt or something, I've, I, I decided we're just going to yeah. do hashtag Stephanie's superpower. I didn't. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though. It's so great. I, I wish this stuff would fit on a meme. And 
how great if this would fit on a meme or, you know, on a photo or on a shirt, you know, it's to me, some of the more extreme beliefs and, and feelings about some things where we get, you know, we're in a state of fear and anger. And that's mm-hmm. what I call kind of like extremists. Like to me, you have advocates and activists and extremists. Sure. And when I meet somebody who's an animal extremist, I know that they're in a lot of pain and they've seen something right. hard yeah. and they're frustrated mm-hmm. and they just cannot handle it. They don't want to see it anymore. So they're going to freak out and do whatever behavior they need mm-hmm. to do to stop the pain. I get that. I think we've mm-hmm. all been at somewhere on that spectrum at some point in our life. And it's so easy when you're in that state to take a photo of an animal in a zoo and write three letters or just write prison and put that out to the world and mm-hmm. emotionally impact people mm-hmm. um, to skew them into, you know, whatever your agenda is. It's a lot harder to explain everything I just said in a meme. You know, exactly. it's, no. it's hard to share the complexity of how conservation is um, it's yeah. hard to share how difficult it is, why, you know, why human beings in Namibia are making the choices they are with their elephants to somebody from California. I can't, I can't put a whole like, oh, we have to consider the economic, economics and the politics and the traditions and the culture and how they eat and where they get their food and what's going on in the, you know, like it's hard to fit that in a meme. So it just doesn't spread as fast, you know? And exactly. so one day mm-hmm. we got to figure that out because it's, yeah, it, it's I'm attacking and it's, oh, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, no, it, it 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 it's just it's amazing to listen to you talk because it really shows the complexity of conservation, like you just said. And I think to to bring it full circle is it's easy for us to say, oh, why don't we just protect yeah, elephants? Fix one for a while. thing, well, right? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. It's it's not just oh, we want you know we all want to protect elephants. We we hate the poaching crisis. We we hate that, you know, farmers want to kill elephants that trample their, their farms in India, you know, or in Asia or even going on in Africa. So when you talk about the human aspect, I think it really gives, you know, especially our listeners insight into the complexity because it's not conservation is not one thing. Conservation is multiple, multiple, multiple agencies that you talked about with the African penguin, but also, you know, the human aspect. And we need to come up with solutions, you know, and like you said, we're just a little puzzle well, piece and, in this grand Yeah. Scheme. And in the end, conservation is a people problem. You know, this is, mm-hmm. if you see an animal that is struggling, turn around and it's, you know, the people that are standing there are usually at fault. But then what you need to do is you need mm-hmm. to look at why, why are those choices being made? Is it because they don't have, because there's a drought right now and they need food? Is it because they need work and the, the easiest money to make is to poach an elephant for ivory because it's so much money? I mean, I can't say that I would refuse an opportunity to hunt a rhino or elephant if I wasn't, if I was in the same shoes as some of the individuals that starving, have to make that choice. Right. You know, it's easy to sit over here in America and point fingers and judge, but, but, once you go to some of these villages, you understand these people, and they don't want to, a lot of them do not want to be doing this, but also you have to remember some of them look at elephants, like a, just a big cow. And they're like, yeah, they're smart, but they're also really, they're so smart. They're so destructive and they're killing our family and members have, and destroying and a our a lot crops. of them in our area. Yeah. They don't realize that there's probably yeah. not a lot in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, okay, we have a lot here, but they don't know that they're endangered globally. You right. know, they just say mm-hmm. we have this huge herd here that is destroying our family. Now you're going to tell me that here in America, we don't do that. 
you know, we've hunted wolves and mm-hmm. bison and coyotes, yeah. and yeah, we've hunted exactly. so many yeah. things near to extinction. But we put these things on elephants, like, oh, elephants, though. Elephants are smart. So they, they're more mm-hmm. special. So those people are evil. And so I, I try really hard to also share the perspective of some of these people that you quote unquote say are evil, you know, cause remember some of these people are doing it because that's the position that they're in. And I know a lot of people would do the same if they had to for them and their family to, to survive. Mm-hmm. So when seeing those issues come up, it's important you go, okay, Let's turn around and see what's going on with the people. And Jane Goodall has been such an incredible uh, voice for that to help people understand, like, look, when it comes down to it, it's about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We need to make sure the people in that area mm-hmm. are taken care of first mentally and emotionally and physically and have shelter and have food and have money and have all that. Then you tell them how incredible the ecosystem is and how important that food web is. And they will become the biggest advocates for that. But you have to support them first. All right, Stephanie, I'm going to throw the gauntlet down because uh, your good buddy, Rick Schwartz, uh, we just had on. And he by far gave the best answer to this question oh. by far. I've been doing this for two years. And, and yeah, I mean, what we've interviewed, uh, what did I say, Angie? It was like 40 or 50 uh, 40 experts. something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, yeah, he was so amazing to, to this answer. So. So mean but to say that but first you, before you, you ask that. Of course, Rick Schwartz is going to have the best know, answer. Right? I think he was reading from cue cards. So he probably know. was. <laughs> What's well, Rick's your friend? Rick's your friend. Yeah, I love Rick. He's so a little fri- friendly, friendly competition. But no, I mean, you've been so brilliant this whole podcast. So yeah, I, I, she I'm already really won excited. hands down the no, last five minutes. <laughs> you hear that, Rick? I won. <laughs> <laughs> Women power. That's right. Yes. All right. What you got? Uh, all right. So uh, sorry, Rick. Um, <laughs> no, I love, I love to a- answer this question because it, 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 it just gets to the heart of what you've been talking about. But as a species, Homo sapiens, you know, we, we have this higher level of thinking morality. Allegedly. Allegedly. Do we have a moral obligation as a species to fight and spend the money, whatever it is, to save all these other animals that are near extinction? I think as a homo sapien, instinctually, we have to look at the big picture and and do whatever we need to do to save humanity. Because we're, I think people have this impression that we are separate from, we are more special and separate from, but we are 100% interweaved, interwoven uh, into the interconnectedness of all things. And it's incredibly important that we, we understand that and that we look at the big picture of what is absolutely necessary to do And we have to consider climate change because climate change is going to drastically change so many things. So we, so it is, it's such a hard question and it's one, it's one that a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't like to ask or I like to answer to, but I think it's incredibly important that we do provide education on human population of our planet. And it's important that we understand how the importance of coming up with inventions and investing in inventions that are uh, way more sustainable 
I think it's important that we pull out as much carbon out of the atmosphere as possible. I think we just have to make and invest and put in a lot of energy into doing what we can to save humanity. And that's a very selfish answer. But from that, if you understand the big picture of things, you'll understand there are key animals that we cannot let disappear from our planet. Otherwise, we will. And, you know, we, there's a handful of them. It's not just one, but, you know, our pollinators are one of the most important species on the, our animals on the entire planet for our own survival. So it, it, for me, it's, it's, I know that's not a Rick answer because I know his was probably ready and waiting because he speaks about this stuff on a regular basis. But I think it's, we need to look deep within ourselves and, and accept the fact that we are a living animal that's part of this food web. And in order to save us, we need to make some, we need to really face, we need to really face some really, really difficult questions and we need to, to do the best we can to um, change our own behavior and then invest in sustainability and some key species that we absolutely know we need for not just our survival, but the survival of other big complex systems out there. That's brilliant. I love that. I, it's brilliant. Yeah, Hats that's off brilliant. To you. I, I, Many claps. They're Many even. Claps. They're even. They're even. Well, absolutely. It's, <laughs> uh, even. it's like a Sunarto that I interviewed in Indonesia. It's save tigers and you save yourself. Yeah. Yep. And I think there's a, there's a few animals out there that you could say that to. I just think that there's a, a few key species out there that we just cannot lose them. And uh, I am too terrified to say, in my opinion, which ones there, there's definitely some things where it's like, I morally would love to save a handful of species that we focus all of our time and money and energy into morally. I would love to, but if you look at the big picture, there is definitely other animals that need a lot more coverage and a lot more funds. And, uh, and unfortunately, that's not happening as much as it should be. But that's why there's amazing people out there like you and your husband and all of your partners fighting the good fight every day. And you're an inspiration, Stephanie. And I cannot thank you enough for enlightening us, entertaining us, educating us uh, for the last hour or so. And I just think that if I lived in Santa Barbara, we would be best friends. I'm going to throw that We would. We would. (laughs) (laughs) Angie's a boss. Well, I am so grateful for your time. Thank you, everyone who has listened to my random Mm -hmm. thoughts. Uh, This is just where I'm at in my life. Yeah, this is what I've learned. I'm not saying I'm correct or right or it's the best answers to any of these things. This is just where I'm at. And you come back to me in two years and I might have a, a different perspective. I, I'm learning and growing along all side of you and I will do the best I can to share my knowledge in any way I can. So you can see that uh, along with just my crazy antics in life. You can see that on social media. It's at Stephanie Arney, A-R-N-E. You can also go to my website, stephaniearney.com. You can visit Wild Kingdom TV on YouTube. You can go to curiositystream.com forward slash Stephanie to get a month for free at Curiosity Stream. And I also recommend when you go to my website, check out the Women in the Wild project that I'm working on. I hope to expand that in the future. And if you ever want any mentoring, um, one-on-one sessions to learn more about uh, conservation or for career advice, if you want to hire me to speak at your fundraiser gala, 
university, school, corporation, whatever, I am available. Just contact me through my website. And the only awesome. one we missed, the only one we missed was savingpenguins.org. So that was yeah. a, out of all of them. We will list them all, but yes, savingpenguins.org. <laughs> yep. The project that's you right. Are a busy woman. Ah, <sighs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Lots of projects. Right. And the problem is that, you know, my husband and I are not very money motivated. So no. we're like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously just not. Like to do- <laughs> yes. Our husbands could toilet. talk about that. Yes. It's the same. Uh, my husband's like, well, you don't care about money. So it doesn't matter that you don't make any. <laughs> we, you know, as long as we can pay the bills and, and yeah. to see some of the things we want to do, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. but yeah. anyway, yeah, all the projects. So definitely make sure you check out, uh, savingpenguins.org. We're going to release it here in mid November. So check out savingpenguins.org. You can even do that right now. And we are going to have our penguin film available for you to watch and share and please make sure you get an adorable organic sustainable penguin stuffed animal for your loved ones or two or three and uh, sponsor some nests we have every we have tons of options for you to help uh, save these african penguins let's do it together let's see something finally really positive and visual let's see this happen because it'll gain it'll give us all some confidence and we all right now need some positive news (laughs) Yep, yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, a, a pleasure. We're going to have you back on. We, at 100%, you got to come back on. Uh, let us know what you're doing. You know, it's, it's share more wisdom. It, 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 wow. Totally awesome perspective on what's very, going on out very there. Very impressive yeah. uh, and very inspirational. And so hopefully our listeners have enjoyed this and they're inspired to check out some of your amazing things and to share it and also come up with their own way to walk the walk. And, mm-hmm. uh, because every little, every little bit helps. Yes. Yeah. Thank you too. You thank you too so much for everything you do and for all the listeners out there that are, that are walking their talk and giving it that you're all, uh, stay strong, take care of yourself. Um, stay healthy. As you know, if you're not healthy, you, you can't do the best job that you can do. We need every single one of us to do the best that we can. And don't worry if you do need to take a break. There's always somebody else there that can step in. So don't let that guilt take you over. We're all here. We're all doing our part. Yep. Yep. Every day is a new day to be a conservation hero. And mm-hmm. if you end up getting a straw because the waitress gave it to you before you could say no, that doesn't mean you're a failure. <laughs> yeah, you just that's okay. Try harder next time. It's okay. That's- we all make mistakes. Being conscious of these things and voting with your dollar and just even having these conversations is yes. yep. the first step. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. 